0: Sub our dear eternal God, our Father, we come to you this morning, God. We certainly thank you, God, for waking us up this morning, bringing us out to the house of worship, God. We pray, Heavenly Father, Lord, that Your Word will fall fresh in this place, that God, we might understand the value of Your Word, Father. My prayers that we will be doers of Your Word. And not just hearers, Father. I pray that lives will be changed. Hearts might be receptive. And that, God, if there's anyone here that's without you, Father, that, God, they would receive you this morning, God. The perfect gift that you are. Touch us, God, and we shall be touched. Move us and we shall be moved, God. Let us make room for the preaching of your word, Father. It is in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and thank God. Merry Christmas again. On this Christmas Eve. It's the day before Christmas. It's a time of great excitement. I remember as a child, starting to get ramped up about December 20th. Right about now, I'm all over the place as a child. Couldn't wait for Christmas Day. And I recall mama would always allow us to open a gift a little early And I remember just reflecting on those times as a child, the excitement that I had as a a child when it came to Christmas time. But I've come to discover that over the years, that excitement has diminished somewhat. Just not the same as it was when I was a child. Seeing the older I got, the more, the less excited I was about Christmas. When I became adult, Christmas became a chore. I had to figure out the perfect gift to give. I had to do that dreaded thing called shopping that I hate. But then I had children And all of a sudden, the excitement was renewed. Only this time it wasn't about me. It was about them. And so I still hated shopping. But that's why God gave me a wife. (laughs) That likes to shop. You don't believe me? I just gave him my credit card the other day. (laughs) But it became exciting to be able to watch them as they opened their gifts on Christmas morning. The excitement that filled the air. And I recall I had one child that ran through his gift, he was unwrapping gifts at an alarming rate. And the other two were slow and they they appreciated the gifts. But he had unwrapped every gift, I don't even know if he paid attention to them. And his response was like, I ain't got no more gifts. I said, well son, you, you unwrapped all of them. But there was a great sense of excitement that I had, but once they became grown, again, I find myself not that enthused and excited about Christmas. Now understand, as much as I love my grandkids, we ain't going back there. I will still get them Christmas gifts. But the excitement is not the same. And here's the reason why the excitement is not the same, because I was excited about the wrong things when it comes to Christmas. And understand that most of us are excited about the wrong things when it comes to Christmas. Most of us don't really hold fast to the true essence of Christmas. Because you do realize that we have two different Christmases, right? There is the secular Christmas, and then there is the religious Christmas. Secular one is the one that we fall in love with. I know, I'm gonna take my text, I'm gonna take my text. Our text will come from the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter. That was part of my introduction. Luke, the second chapter, verse number eight, beginning at verse number eight. And it reads like this. It says And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel of swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even to, unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. And it was told unto them. From this passage of scripture, we'd like to take for a sermon title, Twas the Night Before Christmas. We have a tale of two Christmases. As I mentioned, there's a secular Christmas. And here in the United States, this Christmas has been largely commercialized. It is associated with shopping and gift giving, decorations and festivities, often emphasizing the consumption of material wealth. This version of Christmas centers around a figure by the name of Santa Claus, or Saint Nick. And it focuses on the exchanging of gifts holiday sales, and creating cheerful and festive atmosphere. It's families coming together and sharing the warmth of Christmas, the giving of gifts, the eating of good food, the celebrating family and togetherness. It sounds good, but then there's the religious Aspect of Christmas. This aspect of Christmas commemorates the birth of Jesus Christ. It celebrates the Savior's arrival and emphasizes the theme of hope, joy, love, and of peace. We're in church service today to celebrate Jesus Christ and his coming into the world. But understand that if you are in the right church, every church service will celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Because the birth of Jesus Christ is a part of the gospel message. He came down through 42 generations, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And he go all the way, all the way to the cross and the resurrection. So, so, so if you're in the right church, every Sunday is a Christmas Sunday. Every Sunday we commemorate and we're grateful and thankful of what God has done through the sending of his son, Jesus to Christ. The Bible said that in the fullness of time, Christ came into the world. In other words, this this, this is all a part of God's ultimate plan to save humanity. Because Jesus could not die unless he was born. So, this is all about the redemptive practices of Christmas. But as I often remember, towards the night before Christmas, I remember being in kindergarten. And hearing my teacher recite this poem, this this is one that invoked a great excitement within me. It, It was one of the first times that as she was reading, I could visualize what she was reading in my mind. And I can recall going home for Christmas break and on Christmas Eve listening the pitter-patter of the reindeer on the roof. Excited, waiting to see, see if I could hear Santa coming. I was excited about it to the point to where it was difficult for me to go to sleep. Well, ultimately, I did go to sleep only to wake up to toys all over the living room. And I remember thinking in my mind, Santa came and I missed him. But I was excited about the gift that he left me. This is leading to something. Because every last one of the gifts that I've received is in some landfill somewhere. Every gift that I've received is no more. But here in this text, we see the greatest gift that was ever given to you and to me. My question to you, are you excited about it? Are, are, are you excited about it? Listen here, this, 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 towards the night before Christmas shares an overview of a popular poem. It's a popular poem that was written that it might encourage people to come together. Towards the night before Christmas, this famous it's a poet that was written by Clement Clark Moore. It was first published anonymously in 1823 and has since become a cherished and iconic part of the Christian tradition in many English-speaking Countries. Opening lines of the poor are instantly recognizable. Towards the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. This is the setting of the the scene in which more paints the poem sets the scene on a quiet christmas eve in a cozy home where the family is settling in for the night he's very descriptive in the poem and describes santa or saint nick nicholas as a jolly and a generous figure dressed in fur carrying a sack full of toys and arriving in a sleigh led by eight reindeers, St. Nicholas arrives on the top of the roof and makes his way down the chimney to enter gifts to the children. More describes his actions and his appearance as he performs his task. This is all to invoke incitement. But understand that we have something more than a poem. We have the word of God that should invoke excitement about the religious aspect of our Christmas. We've all bowed. We've all bent to the Christmas story, the secular Christmas story. Many of you don't, don't, don't want to tell little children that there is no Santa Claus. And if you're still groaning, you're still believing in Santa Claus, I'm sorry to bust your bubble. Santa Claus is a fictional character. But Jesus Christ is a historical event. He is a historical character. As a matter of fact, he is the most important person that was ever born of a woman. It was Jesus Christ. And so while the poem, Towards the Night Before Christmas, gives us our illustration of secular Christmas, the Gospel of Luke meticulously traces the events surrounding the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It provides a vivid portrait of God's divine plan unfolding in real time. Today we embark on this journey into the heart of God's redemptive narrative where prophecy meets fulfillment and divine promises are realized in the humblest of setting. Yeah. The background is Nazareth. Mary and Joseph are living in Nazareth. But because of a decree by Caesar Augustus that all men shall be counted, Mary and Joseph have to go back to their homeland because both of them were from the lineage of David. And this is what caused them to go back to Bethlehem. And understand, understand that the, the, that the birth of Jesus is fulfilled several Old Testament prophecy. In Isaiah 7 and 4, 14, it predicts that a virgin would conceive and bear a child. Mary did that. It also fulfilled that they would come from the line of David. And both Mary and Joseph come from the line of David. In Isaiah 7 and 14, it also mentioned that his name would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's the incarnation of the one who is fully man and fully God. He comes with a purpose. The the prophet Isaiah tells us that he would go into Egypt and that God would call him out of Egypt. And yes, he fulfilled that in Matthew, the second chapter, verses 13 through 15. Jeremiah even talks about the slaughter, the infants after Herod the king had heard that the king who was born king which was in town Matthew two sixteen through 18 but one of, perhaps one of the greatest fulfillments of the prophecy is the place in which Jesus would be born in Micah 5 and 2 it says but you Bethlehem of Ephrath though you are small among the clans of Judah out of you will come for me, one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are not from old, for ancient times. And so the journey begins to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Joseph packs up Mary, puts a few clothing in a sack. So they make this journey to Bethlehem, which is about six miles south of Jerusalem. Mary is just about ready to give birth, but yet they make this trip, this journey, only to get there and realize that there's no place for them in the end. There's no room for them in the end. But understand that God is the one that's orchestrating this. He is the one that is providing for them, and understand that that this, this 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 journey that they take is one of faith. It's one of obeying God, because the Scripture declared that they must go to Bethlehem, because this is where the Savior would be born at. This was critical, so we find them in Bethlehem. As a matter of fact, in the first. Verse, we see that in in chapter number 2, that they had to decree to go back to Bethlehem to be taxed. But we see that that, that, that Mary, after birth to our Savior, verse number 6, it says, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should deliver. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So to be wrapped in swaddling clothes, to be born in a stable because there's no room in the hotel for you, to be placed in a manger which was just a trough that animals ate from, to be wrapped in swaddling clothes gives the indication that this life that he would live would be one that would be lead to death. Because these swaddling clothes were usually strips of linen. And did you not know that the same way that he was born, wrapped in linen, was the same day that they would bury him, be wrapped in linen. There's a connection here. And the connection that we get from this is that, 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 that he was born, that he might come in and give his life for us. And so here we see in the text, God's plan unfolding in our lives. There's three areas we want to look at. We want to look at, number one, the meeting, the miracle, and then the message. The first thing we want to look at is the meeting. In verse number eight it says, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angels of the Lord came unto them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The first thing we need to see from this is that that God did not come to the religious right. God, God, God did not come to Republicans or the Democrats. God did not come to the people that's in the pews. He came to the folk that were out in the field working and tending sheep. And understand that, that, that God wants to use all of us in a capacity for ministry work. And, and, and God wants to use folk that are already working. You see, because there are a lot of Christians that right now are c- collecting spiritual unemployment checks. You just in here su- sucking up all the goodness of God, and you're not doing anything for the glory of God. So, 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 so what we see in this meeting, he meets those that have a work ethic. Understand the life of a shepherd is a lowly position. It's a profession that you didn't raise your kids to say, you're going to be raised to be a shepherd. Why? Because shepherds had a low down, a very dirty job. I'm pretty sure shepherds cussed. Shepherds perhaps drank. So what does this tell us? That God comes to the lowly ones. He comes to ones that without I keep telling you that this ministry work is for those who are outside of these four walls. If, if, if God met with these shepherds, the ones who are outside of the religious circle, then what does that tell us today? Again, again, we we we're gonna bring the evangelistic portion of this in this right? If, if he takes the message and he meets with those who are without the shepherds, the low ones, and he allows his glory to shine upon them, because that's what the text says. The text says that, 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 that this light shone around them. In the text, it does not say that it is shown on Mary and Joseph. Or even the resident. But it was right now the central figures in this is the shepherds. And what this shows us, is it shows us that God loves us to that degree. No matter how low you get. No matter how low you go down. God still loves you. God is still here for you. God is still willing, listen here, to meet you where you're at. Nowhere in the text do you see that that the text tells them that you must become a priest. You must become a rabbi. You must become a missionary. No, because God does not want them to change. He wants to change them. So even after all of this, God never changes their profession. They're still shepherds. They're still people of low esteem. No, no, no! No one considered the shepherds. As a matter of fact, you see that in the life of David. David was in the field shepherding his father's flock, and when it came time to anoint a king, he wasn't even thought of. Why? Because shepherds were considered to be lowly people. No way that a shepherd could be king of all of Israel yet and still, the prophet asked, is there another? And that's when they remembered, oh, we have this little ruddy boy out in the field that's keeping the sheep. And the moment that Samuel's eyes hit him, he realized that he was the anointed one of Israel. This is critical. This is critical because David, perhaps one of the greatest kings that Israel had ever seen, It was said that his descendant would establish a kingdom that would live forever. This was uh, fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. That's why they find themselves in the city of Bethlehem. Because it is established that he would be this king. So there's this meeting. Of the angels. And we, we, we don't know what the angels name We know that, that Gabriel met with, with Zachariah. We know that Gabriel met with Mary. To announce the, the coming of the John the Baptist. As well as Jesus. But these are unknown angels. And they came. To announce. Jesus Christ. They came to announce. The birth of the Savior. They came to announce. That there would be. A miracle. Because out of the meeting came a miracle. The message was the miracle. Verse number 10, he says, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring good tidings and great joy, which shall be to all people. Here the angels dispel the fear. And let them know that I'm coming to bring the gospel message to you. I'm coming to bring good tidings to you of great joy and peace and goodwill to all men. Verse 11 says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, our Savior, which is the Christ, our Lord. And he said, this is the sign. He said, this shall be the sign unto you. Ye shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, exactly how the text tells them that it would be. Suddenly, there was an angel in the multitudes, the heavenly host, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. Now, here, here, here's the interesting uh, thing about this, is that, that this is a sign. The miracle is the virgin birth. Now, I understand that, 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 that we know that there was a, many of women who were barren and yet gave birth. We know that there was even women who were beyond childbearing age that gave birth. We know that, that, that Sarah was well beyond childbearing age, but yet she gave birth. That was a miracle. It was a noted miracle. And then, and then, then, then there, was, there was Zachariah's wife who was beyond childbearing age, but yet she gave birth. This was a miracle. And we've seen that before, but we've never seen a virgin birth before. Listen, I, I can only imagine that when they receive the news, they say, this just don't make sense. Yes. But understand that the virgin birth is important to the gospel message. Yes. And here's the reason why. Because the virgin birth tells us that, that, that Jesus didn't have Joseph's blood running through him. Yes. That Mary was an incubator that the Holy Spirit had impregnated her. Yes. So therefore, he did not have a sin nature. Therefore, he became the perfect sacrifice. Yes. If he had been marred but sin, there was no way he could have given his life for humanity. Yeah. The miracle was in the virgin birth. Yeah. And God knew this beforehand. It had been prophesied back in the Old Testament. God knew that they, there was no way that Joseph could have been his daddy. Because if he had been, he would have been sinful just like us. Yeah. This was a miracle that only God could do. God orchestrated this whole thing. God God had this in mind even before the foundations of the world. God had it in mind. God knew what he was going to do. The moment uh, that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, he already knew that he would send a Savior. He would send someone who would deal with the sin of mankind. That would come and take away the sin of mankind. That's the miracle. That's why salvation is the greatest miracle of all time. The fact that God was able to save a wretch like me. He was able to wash away my sins. And cast them into the sea of forgiveness. That he does not deal with me according to my sin. But according to his grace. According to his grace he deals with me now. Why? Because Christ, through the miracle of this virgin birth, dealt with my sinfulness. He took all of my sin upon him. This is the miracle of this virgin birth. He had to be born sinless that he might be able to give us an example. Because not only was he born sinless, Jesus Christ remained sinless throughout his entire life. He who knew no sin became sin for us. This was a miracle. Such a great miracle that that, that the sky cracked open and all of heaven's hosts begin to praise and glorify God. The angels begin to lift their hands and worship God. They had become accustomed to it. The angels are worshiping God. What about us? We, 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 we come in here and, and, and there are some of us that will not lift our hands and praise a holy and a righteous God for all he's done for us. And here's all of God's host of angels can lift their hands and worship God, can show a sense of gratitude to God for what he's done for us, what he gave up for us, what he became for us. We ought to be willing to wave our hands and say, Lord, thank you for what you've done for us, how you fixed this thing, God. how how, how you took the intent of Satan and what Satan wanted to do and you turned it around, God. Because I realized that, 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 that through my faith and my belief in the virgin birth, the life of Jesus, the subsequent death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, my life has been changed. I'm not the same. That's why I can, I can come away from that secular Christmas. And I can still have this great joy. This intimacy with God. This joy that I have. Man did not give it. Man can't take it away from me. That's, that's, that's the real joy of Christmas. You see, you see, what I had back then was not joy. It was just happiness. I was, I was happy because I got a gift. I was happy because I had an opportunity to spend time and eat good meals with the family. I was happy for all those pies and, and cakes that mama made. I was just happy. But now I have the joy because I understand it now. I got it deep down on the inside of me, and just like these angels, I may not look different, but there's something on the inside of me that has changed, I tell you. God is working something on the inside of me. Every time I think about Christmas, every time I think about what Christ has done, it just bubbles up inside of me. And there are times, there are times that I'm moved to tears. With gratitude. Because at the old folk, he didn't have to do it, but he did it anyhow. This is the miracle of salvation. So we have our meeting, we have our miracle. But then there is a message. The message that is proclaimed by the shepherds. Because when you've been born again. When you have been converted, you just can't keep it to yourself. You, you, you have to tell somebody. Verse 15 gives it to us. In it He says, and it came to pass as the angels were gone away into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, listen here, they reasoned together. Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. Did you get that? It's God that made it known unto them. It It is the same God that makes you and I know that there's something wrong with us and that we need to change what we're doing and how we're living our lives. The scripture tells us that that if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. The scripture tells us that no man can come to the Father unless the Spirit of God draw him. And that's what it was. That was the connection between my salvation and this Christmas message. Because it's what God had said. It's what God had revealed to these shepherds these men of low estate, these men who were counted nothing, but yet God used them because he gave them his word. God gave them his word. And we know that the word is Jesus Christ. Their decision to go and see this newborn, finding Mary and Joseph and the baby, just as the angels had said, they went by spreading the word about this miraculous event that they had witnessing. They glorified God. They praised God. Understand that. How does God reveal himself to us today? Well, number one, he reveals himself through his son. Hebrews 1 says it. And he hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. Secondly, he reveals himself through his word. John 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse number 14 says, and the word was made flesh. This is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was pre-creation And he is existing even now post-creation. The word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Son, full of grace and of truth. He speaks through us through his word. Timothy puts it like this, for all scripture is God breathed and is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in Righteousness so that the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. He speaks to us through his word. And that's what these shepherds did. They stopped shepherding only to become evangelists. They stopped shepherding to become missionaries. My question to you is that what will you do with the word that was revealed to you about the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you shout it from the mountaintops? Will you shout it from the valley below? What what, what will you do with it? Are, Are you still filled with nostalgia from the mistletoe and the Christmas trees, the Christmas decorations? Those are good. But they're not the best. You see, you see, see, the Christmas of old promoted togetherness. There was this warm, warm, fuzzy feeling that we had. But understand it's not sustainable. God's Word is the only thing that is sustainable. And God's Word took on the form of a man, He took on the flesh. And he came down here to give his life for us. This is the real meaning in Luke's gospel. But here it says that they went about preaching the word, letting people know what they had witnessed, what they had seen, what they had heard. They confirmed what the angels had already said was true. It had been verified by them. And they had no problems with sharing it with everyone that they seen. But we sit on God's word. We sit on what God has done for us instead of sharing it with this world. It, you Listen, it, it, it's not necessarily like the Christians that need to be, you know, uh, given the gospel over and over again. We need to be reminded of it, but we need to take it out to those who need it, those who are lost, those who are outside of the ark of safety. Here the text says that Mary, on the other hand, Pondered these things in our heart. This is Mary's baby. This is Mary's heart. This is Mary's firstborn. And you know how women feel about their firstborn sons. Amen. She made a God out of him. As she should have. Anybody else? No. Make no God out of them, baby. But here we see that she pondered it in her heart the things that would be. But he goes on to say that the shepherds returned and glorified and praised God for all the things that they had heard and had seen as it was told to them. This is our message. That we're to take the the meeting. We're to take the miracle. And we're to package it into a message and take it to the world. That's what this is really all about. This is the whole you know, uh, thing that we get out of this whole narrative of the Christmas message. Is that we are to share it with the world. Because indeed it is good news. It's good news in the fact that Jesus did come down and, and gave his life for our sins. Yes he did. He died for the sins of the world. He came down through 42 generations. You need, you need that to help me help you out a little bit? He came down through 42 generations. He was laying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. There you go. <laughs> wrapped in swaddling clothes. He gave his life. He healed the sick and he raised the dead. But that wasn't all. He went beyond that. I'm glad that Jesus Christ went beyond the manger. He went beyond every miracle that he performed here on earth that he might be able to give us the greatest miracle. Because one Friday, they led him up a hill called Calvary. One Friday they nailed him in his hands and nailed him in his feet. I don't know what day that Jesus was born, but I can tell you the day that he died. It was a Friday on a hill called Calvary where they hung him between two thieves, pierced him in his side, put a crown of thorns on his head, He suffered bled, and died on Calvary's cross. The Bible said that he gave up the ghost, that he surrendered his life, that we might be saved. Yes, they took him off of the cross, put him in a barrel man's tomb, stayed there all day Friday, all Saturday night, all day Saturday, all night Saturday. But early on Sunday morning, he rose with all power of heaven and earth in his hand. I tell you, he died for your sins. He did what you could not do. And he gives us eternal life. We have the gift of eternal life. That's the gospel message. But he's not done. Because he's coming back again. He's going to crack the sky and he's going to shout the voice of the archangels. The dead in Christ shall rise. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the cloud. I'm looking for that great getting up morning. Now be no more tears. Be no more death. Be no more hospitals. No more fire. No more police department. No more Donald Trump. I, did I say that? <laughs> He's coming back again. We thank God for it. Please stand to your feet.